The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Now, as Eamon said in the news headlines there, investigations continuing into those awful events in Tala uh, over the last 24 hours. I know lots of people out there, lots of parents in particular, might be struggling with how they talk about events like those to their children and whether they should talk about them with their children. Well, Coleman Noctor is a clinical psychologist and he joins me now. Coleman, you're very, very welcome to the show. I know you've been writing about this uh, in The Examiner uh, today as well. Can I ask, first and foremost, if we should be telling our children at all about this type of thing? I mean, I, I think, Karen, I'd be someone who would always be an advocate for protecting the innocence of childhood. Um, and so my instinct would be to say no. But then when you consider the the world we live in of mass media, children are going to pick up on this stuff, whether it's through overhearing the radio in the car or through online or through conversations in the schoolyard. And what you don't want is them to get a kind of a, a histrionic or hysterical version of events that isn't, uh, hasn't got a modicum of truth to it. And so when you're asked whether you want your nine-year-old to learn about this incident from another nine-year-old in the playground or from uh, an informed adult who cares about them, I think the option is the second one. So again, um, not ideal, but I think the way in which the world has gone, and we've had to, we've had to revisit this so many times, especially in these tragic cases which involve children. Um, we almost have to take on a responsibility of uh, giving them a kind of an informed view, view of events that is, is moderate and protects them as much as possible because I don't think we can control where else they might hear it from. Yeah, as I'm conscious, and, and I know other parents listening to this will be that, um, you know, given their age, uh, uh, the information comes from different places. You know, you mentioned kind of the ubiquity of, 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 of news and different devices. That's grand, you've got a teenager. But even younger than teens, what I found is it's the kids in school who've got older brothers or sisters. They're the, they're, they are the kind of the filters of information. Absolutely. And again, I suppose from the point of view, the quality of that information is going to be questionable too. And, and I, I think from the point of view of we can't control the lives of our children. And again, you know, last week we had the, the, the trauma of children being entered into junior infants. And again, that's the parent, parents handing over control of a child's life to other people and to what they'll be exposed to. And with friends and chats and all those sorts of things that go on, you you almost have to kind of play a role of kind of moderating the information that they hear. And again, I would say that's a very difficult role for most parents to do. But again, I think the age range of a child isn't maybe the, the deal breaker in this one. I, I oftentimes think it's the temperament of the child is an equally important factor. Mm. Because if you have a child who is by nature a worrier, you know, they will be maybe very sensitive to this sort of thing. And yes, you want your child to be informed uh, kind of reliably about these things, but you don't want them up all night worrying about it either. And so from the point of view of when they hear the, the kind of version from the, the schoolyard, it tends to be one that leaves them quite panicked and worried and doesn't necessarily have the balance of the account, which would be that, you know, you're still safe and you're still going to be okay. And despite these tragic and, and horrible instances, you know, we've got this and we're, you're okay and, yeah. and you will be fine. It's, it's a really difficult one, though, for parents of that anxious child, isn't it? Because, you know, you can see how they'll, they'll just hold out hope that he or she won't hear it in the schoolyard. You know, even though it might be as plain uh, as the nose in your face to everybody else, they're going to hear this news. As the parent, you kind of, you rationalise it the other way. 
Yeah, and I, and I think from the point of view of you know, that might run through and they may never hear about it and that's fine. But I think what you'd probably need to do, and again, is have an open door policy that if they did hear something in school that they could come to you about it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and again, that's the kind of Everest of parenting. We all want to be this approachable, open person who people can come to. But it's aspirational. You know, sometimes that isn't the case. So maybe checking in with them and, and maybe observe I mean the younger child, say for example three to seven, they're they haven't got they haven't reached the age of reason so they can't make sense i mean struggles are there for adults to make sense of tra- tragic instances like that but for younger children they don't need to know details of it what they need to know is that they are safe and they'll be okay and you reach it yeah kind of emphasize that element the 8 to 12 year olds are the ones who maybe have a little bit of knowledge which is oftentimes a dangerous thing in some respects because um they haven't got the, the critical ability to be socially or cognitively or emotionally able to manage it but they may well be exposed to the detail. And again, that would be the group you'd be checking in with to see have they heard about something and if, if there is something on their mind. Whereas the teenager, you might be able to have more of a, a discussion, a discursive discussion about how, they, how it has made them feel or how they feel about incidences like that. And it can be a little bit more mature in terms of how much detail you hear or how you manage that for them. But again, it's trying to strike that balance between being informed and being overwhelmed. Uh, and I think that's the hardest one to, to so, kind of manage. So sorry, to, to, the, the three to seven, that first age group you talked about, is is the best approach there then what, just to to say nothing unless it comes up? I, I'd be observing, observing from a distance okay. and seeing how they're doing. Um, you know, and again, asking them how the, their day was, did they hear anything, were they uncertain about anything? I don't necessarily think children of that age, it needs to be introduced into their lives. Okay. Um, uh, and... and uh, and then, but then, just the the older age group you were, you know, you're talking about the the, the more open, uh, discursive approach. It's that age group in between seems to be the stickier wicket, is it? And and it's probably, possibly more case by case. They always are because that age group, you know, have um, they're the ones that are growing up too really much too quickly. Again, that eight to twelve group because they probably do have access to a handheld device. They probably do get these pop up news stories. They probably do have conversations in school that are, you know, dramatic uh, rather than information-based. And so, uh, again, and and that's where we would see a lot of the peak anxiety age group is that 8 to 12 group because they they see the world at that age is very concrete, it's very black and white. And I think for children, and again, this is probably the most unexplainable thing, children's understanding of good and bad is very clear. Like you've goodies and baddies, you've cowboys and Indians, you've cops and robbers, they're very identifiable. When the source of, of harm comes from within a family or somebody that you know, it undermines that narrative that actually is a quite reassuring to children growing up and they can get really quite unsettled about that. And that's why the emphasis on your family is safe, your home is safe and you're going to be okay. And I think the message that there's a lot more good in the world than there are other. Um, mm. we, we need to really kind of have the child leave the conversation feeling reassured rather than feeling uh, unnerved. So let's assume it has come up. Either a parent has brought it up, they felt the need to do it, or it's come up in the schoolyard, the kids have heard it on the news, whatever. This is now out in the open. They're aware of some detail. I mean, then what is the conversation? Do, do you talk about the event itself in more detail so that, you know, there are no grey areas, no rooms for ambiguity or, or misapprehension? Or, or do you 
kind of immediately try to shift it into that conversation around, you know, safety and security and, and their place in the world? I, I think you ask them for their understanding first um, and you'll get the inaccuracies of that account and then you can maybe iron out the creases of that or maybe help them to think about that a little bit differently. Um, but Kieran, these are really inexplainable things. You know, it, there's very, very difficult to put any sort of rationale or reason on it. Um, and so the idea, and it might sound unsatisfactory, but that these things happen and they're really unfortunate, but they're rare. And that, you know, from your point of view, your, your family are very loving of you and we care about you and we will protect you. And, you know, again, maybe saying that there aren't answers to it. And sometimes we all struggle to come to terms with it is an unsatisfactory but honest response to the child that, that, that these things are kind of beyond understanding sometimes, but that, you know, and, and I would always kind of emphasize the outpouring of grief and support that these situations have, you know, in terms of the, that it re-emphasizes the good in the world mm. in terms of how people have responded to it and maybe the support that's offered to this family um, going forward. And again, these seem like slim pickings to us as adults, but to a child that means a lot, that there, that, that there is good still and that things are okay. Um, but I, I hear their version of events and, and maybe just use a, a point of clarity to kind of clarify where they may have picked up something wrong. Um, but again, it's not about details. It's about mm. them leaving the conversation feeling reassured. And, and for some kids, that, that one conversation will be enough others and you talk about the more anxious child you know there might need to be follow-ups i mean how, how do you manage that in the weeks ahead you know that that, that you're just conscious that yeah listen I, I i i did everything that coleman said or i kind of you know i, I did everything i said everything i think i needed to say uh, uh but you're still worried that you know your child goes to bed at night and this is what they're thinking about very few parenting interventions are one conversation you know from the point of view of they oftentimes need to be revisited. And that, I mean, again, this is another dilemma. How do you acknowledge something without laboring it? You know mm. what I mean? But again, it's about checking out how they are, maybe a day or two later after you've given the information. Because children that, especially that 8 to 12, they ruminate. They, they, they kind of internalize it and they think about it. And so, again, checking in with them a day or two later to see how, what was the outcome of that conversation in terms of how they left it and how they feel now you may need to do that two or three times. And again, to the more sensitive child, they will need more intervention. But again, with all of these things, I, I, I think there's a real risk of us overdoing it. Um, and, you know, we have to kind of see when something is, okay, this is thinking something through and having a conversation about it. And this is actually rumination and overthinking and mm. overanalyzing. We need to move on from it. Um, and again, you know, there's a point when a child hurts themselves and they're, you know, we're we're trying to, give them reassurance and bandages and everything else. And then there comes a point where you're kind of pretty sure this pain is no longer there and now it's distraction and moving on from it. And especially in the, the younger child, that, that's part of moving on from something is helping and showing them how to do that. Um, and It's hard, uh, it's hard no to know where that line is though, isn't it? I, it, it? It's nearly easier with the physical injury, kind of go up, go on now, you're grand. Uh, you, you've had enough of the molly coddling. It's harder with the emotional side, isn't it? You kind of there's a party yeah, that wants to say, "Listen, you know, kind of get over it now," but uh, you, at the same you, time, you, you hate the idea that you they're take, anxious. 
you've hit on the, the biggest problem with any sort of mental health intervention is we don't have a blood test for it or we don't have a swab yeah. for it or we don't have a so you're really depending on your observation of the person and how they seem to be coping and the second thing you rely on is the story that they tell you about how they're feeling so look at how they're doing observe you know the sleep and the appetite and they're mixing and then asking them how they're doing not overdoing it but to a point where you're just checking in and seeing if they're okay um, is the best you can do. And again, an, an, not an ideal answer to what is a very, very complex problem. You know? Yeah, well, listen, complex and all uh, as it is, uh, I think some great advice in there, Coleman, and we appreciate your time. Thanks a million for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.